0: And, well, there's four references, but one of them is a double, so it's really just three, three references. So we'll do both of these today, and it'll be a little bit shorter, but that works out well uh, for our situation this morning. So it all worked out perfectly according to the providence of God. So let's pray, and then we will uh, have our Bible study. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for our time to be together today, Lord, for uh, the blessing that you have given to us. Lord, for the people, Lord, who have come, and Lord, we do pray that you would continue to build us up in our faith, Lord, to help us uh, to know all of those things that are consistent with your will. Lord, as we uh, look at uh, this chapter dealing with uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and Lord, in the upcoming weeks, as we look uh, at each one of these ordinances that you have delivered to your church, Lord, we pray that we would have your mind, that we would understand Uh, your will, Lord, that we would know those things that are pleasing to you, and that, Lord, we would conform our practices as a church, Lord, as closely and consistently uh, to the teaching of Scripture, Lord, knowing that you and you alone are the Lord of the church, and you are the only one who can establish and define uh, any ordinance comes from you, and so, Lord, you're the only one who can do those things, and we are called to uh, be faithful to you, Lord, in the way that we practice them. So, Lord, teach us Help us to understand, and it is in Christ then that we pray. Amen. Okay, so baptism and the Lord's Supper. This chapter 28 is an introductory chapter, and then chapters 29 and 30 will deal with each of these ordinances respectively. First baptism and then the Lord's Supper uh, in the way that they are practiced. And as I was uh, mentioning there in the prayer, these are ordinances that have been given to the church by the Lord of the church who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can establish an ordinance in the church, and he and he alone is the only one who can define it, how it is to be practiced. And it is our duty to study the Bible, know what the scripture says, and then conform our practice as closely as possible as we can to the scriptures. And we'll see, uh, we'll read a a couple of quotes uh, from Calvin, of all people, uh, where he's talking about paedo-baptism and uh, infant sprinkling. And his ideas are he's out in left field, right? He's in left field. Usually he's very sober-minded, but on this issue, he is not. And so we are always reminded that the best of men are mere men, are mere men. And it is the Lord and the scriptures that we must go to for our guidance and for uh, everything that we need to know the will of God. Uh, I will remind you that these ordinances, right? The ordinances or the symbols, the rituals, uh, however you want to call them, are, are good and fine. Uh, these are symbols Uh, that have been instituted by Christ, uh, that are outward, that they have an outward form, they are a symbol outwardly that is teaching or manifesting for us a spiritual truth or a spiritual reality, okay? The spiritual reality is Christ himself, is something to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching us about our salvation. And then the symbol is the physical element, that outward aspect. And the Lord does this for us knowing the weakness of our faith, right? Knowing that we are flesh and blood, that we live in this present world, and that it is for our benefit to be an aid to our faith, right, the spiritual realities are invisible. They're invisible, we behold them by faith, but God gives to us these physical elements as a way of manifesting or teaching us the greater spiritual principle or truth. Without the correct understanding of the spiritual, the physical is completely useless and worthless. So without faith and without faith in the word of Christ and what the word of Christ teaches about them, going through the ritual is useless if we don't understand what it signifies and have faith in what it signifies. And this would be in contrast to what is taught in Roman Catholicism where they teach sacramentalism and that in the sacraments themselves, and they also have seven sacraments, not two, but in the sacraments themselves resides the grace of God. And whether you understand or know doesn't matter. All that matters is if you take communion or if you're baptized or if you go through last rites or if you go through marriage or confirmation, whatever the sacrament that they have, all that matters is that you undergo the ritual whether you understand it or not. And this is why during the Middle Ages in Europe, European churches, the services were conducted in Latin. And even in some Orthodox uh, traditional Roman Catholic churches today, the services are still conducted in Latin. All of the, what the priest is saying is in Latin, though the people themselves don't know Latin, and they don't know what the priest is saying, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they know or understand. All that matters is that they're there and that they take the Lord's Supper, that they take the Holy Communion, because when they take it, they are actually receiving the literal body and the literal blood of Christ into themselves, and it gives them grace. It gives them grace whether they understand or not. This is not what we believe. We completely reject that, and any of these rituals, they must be understood and we must believe in them have faith in them and our faith must be accompanied with godly living right this was the problem in the old testament it's not that the people weren't doing the rituals they were doing the sacrifices they were going to the temple they were offering uh, their grain and their incense they were doing these types of things But they didn't believe, they did not have faith in what those things signified, and then they were living godless lives, thinking that if we just go through the ritual, then that will ensure that we are right with God, we're going to go to heaven, and then we can go live however we please, and it doesn't matter. That's what's happening in the churches today, whether Roman Catholic or Southern Baptist or Pentecostal churches, it doesn't matter. Go through a ritual or two, go through some church function, uh, walk down to the aisle, pray this prayer, get baptized, take the Lord's Supper, Right. go to confession with the priest, go on a pilgrimage, Right. do these various outward rituals and then live however you want and as long as you don't commit some great sin like murder, then you're gonna make it to heaven and it's all going to be all right. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And this is not the proper way for us to think about or partake of these ordinances, right? These are symbols that represent spiritual realities. We must know and understand the spiritual reality, have true faith in the spiritual reality. Then and only then will the ritual or the ordinance be a benefit and a blessing to us. But then it will be a blessing to us. So they are important. And we need to receive them in the proper way. Also, one other point of introduction is one of the distinctions or differences between the Old and the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are the ordinances or the rituals, right? The rituals. In the Old Covenant, the rituals were different and they were many. They were numerous. There were many symbols given to them to teach them spiritual truths everything associated with the temple, everything associated with the priesthood, everything associated with the sacrificial system, right? All of the offerings that they were to make, all of those things were symbols given to them to teach spiritual truths. The food laws, the dietary laws, the washing rituals, all of those things were there to teach them spiritual realities and they were obligated in that time to keep those things. They had to offer sacrifices, right? They had to do those types of things. They had to prepare themselves through various rituals to come before the presence of God, right? They had to go through the priest. All of those things were necessary, and they could not do that without going through the ritual. In the New Testament, many of those rituals we no longer practice. We don't go to the temple, Right, we don't go to a priest. I'm not a priest, right? So you don't have to come to me to confess your sins, right? You don't do that. Yes, I am a teacher of the Bible, but not a priest in the way in the Old Testament, right? We're not priests. We don't offer sacrifices. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We're not doing any of those things. The food laws were temporary. They were there for a time and season, but they were temporary. The priesthood was temporary. All of those things have passed away. And in the new covenant, we don't hold to or we don't keep those symbols anymore. We don't practice them as a part of our common practice or our daily, weekly worship, monthly, yearly worship of God. We keep baptism, and the Lord's Supper. However, what baptism and the Lord's Supper signify is one and the same as what was signified in the rituals of the Old Testament. This is the key, right? The thing signified is one and the same, whether Old Covenant or New Covenant. And all of them, in one way or another, teach something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they believed in the thing signified, and we believe in the things signified, so our faith is one and the same. Though the rituals are different, the faith and what it signifies, the spiritual realities are one in the same. So it's not that our faith is in a different spiritual reality and theirs is in a lesser. Right? They believed in Christ. They believed in His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And these realities were signified to them through the sacrifices through the temple, through the incense, through the priesthood, all of those things were signified to them in these outward rituals that were necessary before his coming. And then after his coming, those things had passed away, and now we keep baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay, so that is by way of introduction. Okay, chapter 28, paragraph 1. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution. They are appointed by the Lord Jesus, the only lawgiver, and are to be continued in his church to the end of the age. So here they're establishing these two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then they'll define those in the next two chapters. These are ordinances or symbols, right? These types of rituals that are in the church that are an ordinance of positive and sovereign institution. They've been given to us by God. So these are not optional. These are not optional. These are sovereignly given by God, and we are commanded during the time of our sojourning to keep these things, to practice them as a part of our worship of God and as a part of our church life, right? These things are to be kept, and they are to be understood in the proper way and practiced in the proper way. We don't have the right to redefine them, to reinstitute them, to substitute this or that according to our own whims and fancies. We need to do them according to the will of Christ because they are a sovereign institution. They are appointed by the Lord Jesus as the only lawgiver. The Lord Jesus, he is Lord of the church. I'm not Lord of the church. You're not Lord of the church. The Pope in Rome is not Lord of the church. There is only one Lord of the church and that is Jesus Christ. Only he can establish an ordinance. Only he can define an ordinance. He and he alone can tell us how we are to keep that ordinance. And our duty is to follow it as closely as possible, according to the will of Christ, according to what he says. And we'll see that in both of these things. And they are to be continued in his church To the end of the age to the end of this age this present age these are given by christ to the church during this time right from his first until his second coming we are keeping these things and they're for our benefit right for our good for us to do these things so we can't set them aside we can't say that they're unimportant we can't say it doesn't matter we can't say well all that matters is the spiritual reality And we just need to have faith in that. And these are just symbols so we can set them aside. Well, yes, the spiritual reality is the greater part. It is the more weighty part. But these can't be set aside either. These are also given by Christ. And we need to keep all of those things. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority belongs to Christ, right? All authority. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? All of the nations belong to Christ. Though the nations don't recognize his authority and his rule, it doesn't matter. They all belong to him. Therefore, we as Christians have a right to go into any nation on the earth and preach the gospel and to tell those people to quit worshiping their idols, even if their idolatry is their state religion, even if their government says you have to worship Allah, you have to be a Muslim, well, does the authority of the government exceed the authority of Christ? No. So I don't care what your government says. Jesus Christ says that you should worship him and Him only, and the true God. And so we have the right and the authority as ambassadors of Christ to go into all nations and to make disciples of them, teaching them to turn from their idols and serve the true and living God, and teaching them His laws so that they worship and serve the true and living God and not their false gods, not the false gods. Now, we have that authority from Christ, So we're not sinning. Now, that doesn't mean that the nations are going to like it. It doesn't mean that they're going to recognize it. They might if the Spirit of Christ is given to them, but they might kill us as well. And that's what they did to the apostles. But that doesn't mean the apostles were sinning because they had the authority of Christ, the commission of Christ, sending them to do those things. So they are to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are to baptize the disciples. When the disciple is made, he is to be baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I commanded you, which is the whole word of Christ. Every word of Christ. Teach them every word of Christ, right? Just as Christ taught them, so they are to teach others, and Christ will be with us even to the end of the age. To the end of this age, Christ is with us, though not physically present with us. He is with us invisibly and spiritually through his Holy Spirit who is with us. So until he returns, this is what the church, this is what we are called to do. Make disciples of all the nations. And then to initiate them into the church through the ordinance of baptism. Right? This is the entryway into the church or into the faith. Right? Once a person believes, once they are a disciple, then they are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, okay? And then taught for the rest of their life. That's what we're doing today. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, we'll pick up in verse 23. And this is the Lord's Supper. So there, baptism, this, the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So the ordinance of the Lord's Supper did not originate with the Apostle Paul. It originated with the Lord Jesus Christ. He delivered it to the Apostle Paul, and then the Apostle Paul is delivering it to the church and teaching them the proper way to observe this. And the Lord Jesus instituted it with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. He took bread, and then he's the one that gave the symbol, the bread and the cup, and then he instructed them and taught them what the symbol represented, right? What the symbol represented. Again, the greater part is what it represents, and then the symbol is there, to be an aid to our faith, so that we see something tangibly before us that represents an invisible spiritual reality, okay? So the night when she was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents the body of Christ. Again, not literally, not uh, as the Catholics teach, where it is transformed during the ritual into the actual body of Christ. That's not the case at all. But symbolically, symbolically, it is in a ritual way, in a symbolic way, in a, a way it signifies, it is representing my body. What you're seeing physically is what you need to understand spiritually. This is my body. And just as the bread is broken, so the body of Christ He bore our sins in his body on the tree, and then God poured out his wrath on him. And it's for you, right, for our salvation. Our salvation comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And was it necessary for Jesus to have a human body? Yes, Yes, right? Without his body, there is no salvation. So he's teaching us that. And we do it in remembrance of him. When we do it, we remember Christ. We remember what he did for us. Isn't that true when we take the Lord's Supper? We remember through those symbols what Christ has done for us. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So now the cup, the cup of wine is the new covenant in my blood. The cup represents the blood of Christ. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That we were ransomed from the futile ways we inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. This is what it represents. When we see the cup, when we see the wine in the cup, it's not literally the blood of Christ, again, as the Catholics teach. It is simply wine in the cup. It doesn't change magically, mysteriously, uh, in any way into the blood of Christ. It's still wine, but it represents it. It represents it. It symbolizes, it signifies the blood of Christ and how it is that when we drink his blood, again, not physically and literally, but by faith, spiritually, that it gives us life. It gives us the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. We're remembering what Christ has done for us. Then verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whenever we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. That's why it's necessary when we do these things, not to have the bare symbol, but to have the symbol Defined by the teaching of the Bible, the reading of scriptures, because we're proclaiming something, right? Proclamation entails speaking. We're speaking the word of Christ, and we're saying this is what this represents. This symbolizes the death of Christ, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And we do that until he comes in between his first and second coming. When he comes, then we won't do it anymore because there won't be the need to do it anymore. We'll be with him face to face. We'll be with him and we'll see him as he is. Okay, so as often as you do it. Also, I think that means as often as we do it, well, is it good for us to proclaim the Lord's death? So we should do it as often as we can, right? It would be good, I believe, for us to do it weekly, to every time that we meet, And people might say, well, if we do it weekly, this was typically the argument for why, in the Baptist churches at least, it was done so infrequently. Because when I grew up, we did it once a quarter, which was four times a year. Is that, well, if you do it too much, then it'll just become common and routine. Do you tell your wife you love her every day? Well, if you do it too much, it'll become common and routine, so you shouldn't do that. And don't we sing sing every week? Don't we preach from Scripture every week? Well, will it become common in routine if we do it weekly? Aren't the best things in life those things that we do daily? Those things we do? What about eating? Well, we don't want to eat every day because it'll become common in routine, and then we want to enjoy it. No, we do it every day, three times a day. We, maybe four or five, who knows? No, we eat often. It doesn't become common in routine. It's a lame excuse. It's a lame excuse, and it's the way in the churches these things have been minimized and people don't see the importance of them. We don't want to be like the Catholics who idolatry these things, but we also don't want to be like as commonly happening in the churches today where we see no significance at all. So we, we have to have the proper view, and that is the view of Christ. Okay, paragraph two. These holy appointments are to be administered only by those who are qualified and called to administer them according to the commission of Christ. Here, the point being these are ordinances given to the church by christ and they need to be exercised and done within the confines of the church with proper structure and proper authority not just willy nilly loosey-goosey as we want to out in the church or out in the world so we shouldn't be doing this in our in our homes just well our family we're going to take the lord's supper tonight or, you know, my child became a Christian, so I'm just going to take him down and baptize him over there in the pond that's in our neighborhood and not do it within the confines of the church. That, that's what they're guarding against here, and that's what the Bible is guarding against. When we see these things being practiced, right, well, we have the Lord Jesus doing it on the night that he was betrayed, and then we have the Apostle Paul instructing the church how to do it. And would it be assumed that if the church is doing this, that the elders of the church would be the ones administering it, making sure that it's being performed properly. They're the leaders. They're the ones that are ruling over the church. So obviously, they're the ones who are ensuring and making sure that it's being done in the correct way. And then in terms of baptism, do we not have examples in the Bible of people being baptized? You have John the Baptist doing it. You have Jesus through his disciples doing it. You have Philip baptizing the Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. You have others uh, that are doing that, uh, Peter and others, but these are apostles of Christ. These are those who are in these positions and they have the authority, the position to administer these rites in the proper way. And so we should do it in that way as well, within the confines and the proper authority and structure of the church and not loosey-goosey in whatever way that we want. So there needs to be proper reverence and respect for what we're dealing with. These are the holy things of God, and they need to be done in the proper way, under the proper authority, within the confines of the church. Okay, we've already read Matthew 28:19, where he's commissioning his disciples to do those things, right, who are his holy apostles. They are the ones doing those, and we know that the holy apostles, they established churches And in the churches, they established elders. The churches weren't free-for-alls where everyone just did whatever they want, but they appointed elders in every town as I instructed you, according to Titus chapter one. That was what the apostle told Titus. He wanted him appointing elders in the churches in every town, just as he instructed him. And then the elders would be the ones exercising proper authority over the church. First Corinthians chapter four. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1 says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So here the apostle is telling them, and again, the apostles, there are not modern day apostles in the manner of the apostle Paul or the other apostles. There's false apostles, but not true apostles They were there who saw Christ, okay? But he's speaking of himself as a servant and a steward of the mysteries of God, that God had entrusted to him the mysteries of God under a stewardship, and then he was to manage those things under the will of Christ, right? Doing it in accordance with those things. And this is the way it is for the elders in the church today. Those who are appointed by Christ in the church to serve in this way. They are the ones who are stewards of the word of God, stewards of the mysteries of God, right? Again, how can the ordinances be properly uh, practiced without the teaching of the Bible? And who has God given the teaching of the Bible to? It is the preacher teachers, right? The shepherd teachers. They are the ones who teach so they are the ones who explain what it signifies and then they ensure that it's being practiced in the proper way. And so this is what, how it should be done. So it should be done within the proper authority of the church. Okay, so we'll stop there today and next week we'll pick up with baptism and then the Lord's Supper and think about these things, right? Read these passages beforehand and ask how were they practicing these things, right? How were they practicing them to make sure that we are practicing them in the proper way? So that is, that's your homework, it's your homework. So read the Bible, look, and then we will talk about those things as we come across them in the upcoming weeks. Okay, well, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the fact that you are the one who has established the church, Lord, you are the one who has granted your word, Lord, on this earth. Lord, you have sent your Holy Spirit to give life to men and Lord, to build up your church. Lord, we know that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Lord, he is the head. He is the Lord of the church and only he, Lord, can tell us how to live. Only he can tell us what we must believe. Lord, he and he alone. And it is our duty Lord, as stewards of the mysteries of God, to simply teach the word of Christ and to inform the people of the will of Christ and what our King says. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would be held in high regard among us and that, Lord, our desire as a church would always be to know the will of Christ and to, as closely as possible, Lord, follow after your commandments. Lord, in all things, but here especially, Lord, when we're dealing with the ordinances that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for baptism and the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for how they teach us, Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that they are aids to our faith until you return. Lord, helping us remember your death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And so Lord, we pray that we would have a proper view of these things, Lord, that we would understand them, that we would treat them as holy ordinances, Lord, that you have given that we would not be cavalier, Lord, that we would not be irreverent in our approach, but that we would have proper reverence, Lord, without drifting into idolatry and superstition. So Lord, keep us and guard us and help us in all these things, Lord, to have your mind and to conform our practices as closely to your word as possible. Lord, be with us as we go from here today. Give us safety as we travel home. Lord, bless us throughout this week. And Lord, bring us back together again. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.